Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Sam Morell's comedy stock continues to rise, having just come off hosting two seasons of People Talking Sports on the MSG Cable Network. Morell has also performed on America's Got Talent, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Conan, and Last Comic Standing. He's risen from Comedy Central's Comics to Watch to his own hour special on the network, premiering September 14th, 2018. It's called Amy Schumer Presents Sam Morell Positive Influence. So let's get to it! better shit than i'm gonna say out of it <laughs> but sam you're a professional <laughs> isn't it fact- amazing how many comics when you do this like don't know how to hold a mic it's like all you right it's like all they we do but then right. you, you listen you're like did that guy not know how to hold a mic isn't it crazy i feel that way when i hear myself but then again i don't normally hold the mic anymore now uh as i was on my way over here i couldn't help but notice uh you got some nice big subway ads that's awesome for your comedy central yeah special. dude comedy central it seems like they're investing in this you know you don't know what to expect but they're uh they've been pretty great but is that how you know you've made it as a new yorker when you have giant subway ads with your i don't think i'll ever feel like i made it but it's it's like it's it is cool i have friends from like high school and like my mom took a picture of it today so it, it is cool for right, sure you're a native yeah so, so it is it is pretty cool to that they seem happy, so that's nice. Does that feel more impressive than having the the ongoing TV show at MSG? Because it's that was pretty cool. Because my face was on the garden, and the garden to me oh. is the coolest. It's yeah. the cool. They're both cool. The garden to me is the mecca. It's the best. It's where basketball is at its best. It's too bad that we never really are contending, but it's it's an amazing place. So that they were both great. They're both fun. Now, you know, the Comedy Central special is Amy Schumer Presents, which she yeah. uh, did a great job presenting Mark Norman, and she did Rachel Feinstein before. Yeah. Um, when was the first time? I was at both of them. Do you remember the first time you met Amy? I do, actually. You know why? Because it was here at the cellar table, and I knew who she was, obviously. She was doing well already. Well, uh, yeah, where were you in your respective careers when I you was met? fairly new at the cellar. I'd probably guess it was 2011 or 2012 would be my guess. Okay. And uh, she knew who I was because she, she knew I was good friends with Mark and Rachel. So I think, so she was kind of like, oh, he's, he's all right. I think that was probably the vibe. And uh, we never even were like, hey, Amy, hey, Sam. It was never like that. It was just like, oh, I know him. So she was just, I've noticed that a lot here is that like the bigger person at the cellar, like often will just talk to you as if they know you and it's almost it's kind of nice like Colin Quinn did that to me where he was like hey Sam like not like hey I'm Colin just like hey Sam I was like that was kind of cool I thought you know did it take a while for you to be accepted here I don't think so I think that's like what you expect that's probably like the old seller I feel like you it takes a while to feel comfortable here but I don't think it took that long to be accepted I think uh, most people were pretty cool well, I get different vibes from younger comedians when they kind of make it to the cellar. There's there's a period where first they're scared to even approach the table or talk to Esty, yeah. And then they get passed and they're still a little reluctant, right. even sitting at the table. And then eventually you get comfortable. 
Now I think I'm too comfortable. In the club. Yeah, I don't know. When I was first here, I was definitely nervous. I was definitely. I remember the first night uh, when I was auditioning. It was the most nervous I've ever been because I knew that I didn't have a lot going on, and I was like, if this doesn't work, I'm in trouble. So. You, you didn't have that laughing skull comedy. I did, but, but believe it or not, uh, an Atlanta festival doesn't go too long in New York City. But uh, it was—I did have that. But uh, yeah, I remember Keith Robinson was kind of messing with me at the table. He was like, "Look how nervous he is," and everyone was just laughing. I was like, "Oh boy!" And then Gary Goldman wrecked me here. So uh, I remember Esty was kind of teasing me. You know, Esty the Booker here uh, said, uh, "Gary's reputation is on the line." And I was just like, ah, oh, fuck. Because all you want is that first joke to hit in the audition. I was more nervous for this than I was for any TV set or anything, for sure. Well, yeah, you've had some interesting experiences with TV. Yeah. Especially, like, with TV contests, where it's all about um, landing that first joke or making an impression. Because I feel like with both America's Got Talent and with Last Comic Standing, it looked like you did much better than... Than I was given you, credit for. Credit I feel for the us. same way, Sean. In both instances, I feel the same way. Uh, but that's comedy competitions. They're they're basically casting calls. It's like it doesn't really matter how you do. It's like oh, we want to see more of this guy. Maybe my story's not as interesting as the others, you know. But I remember on last comic, I did really well, and they just moved people on who didn't do. I saw who didn't do as well. So that's right. just you know these things are arbitrary and not. They're not. How they should be, obviously. And, and and the funny thing about America's Got Talent is I definitely repeated a couple of jokes that I had done on TV before. And I remember someone called me on that. And I'm like, dude, it's America's Got Talent. Do you, what do you, you? I'm getting thrown. I've been there. It's, a, it's midnight. Mm-hmm. These people have been there for like eight hours. I've been there since 10 a.m. I'm just trying to land jokes. I'm just trying to survive and not bomb on, on NBC. Wait, when, when they had you perform for the live audience? I did two episodes. Yeah, dude. I did two episodes for America's Got, Got Talent. They mashed me into one. Mm-hmm. They gave me like a bonus bulk when they aired it, which to this day, it's weird. That's the most messages I've ever gotten for a TV set is America's Got Talent. You're like NBC primetime. Right. They say it gets like 10 to 12 million viewers. So that was the most. And then it dries up because they're not comedy fans. You know, so you see that a lot. Like people will tour off America's Got Talent and then they're not playing to that many people because right. they're not loyal. The way comedy audiences no, are. No, we just saw Gary Veter. Yeah, we just saw Gary. <laughs> Gary's he was busting the table, but uh, <laughs> and he made the finals. Of well, you know what's interesting about that show is he was on the year Howard Stern was a judge, and I think if I was on with Howard, I would have gone oh. further because Howard really respects comics, and Simon Cowell doesn't. Right. Well, and he's also a New Yorker, so he has that kind of sensibility to understand. Totally, and also Howard. Uh, not the, Simon was actually pretty nice to me. I was surprised. I was expecting him to be brutal. But I, when I went out on stage, they told me they're going to ask you about your worst gig like right before I was out there. So I was scrambling my head for a story where I sound humble because I'm like, I know that they want to humiliate you. I saw two guys before me get just destroyed. And I was like, oh, boy, they came off just crushed. So I remember I told him a story about getting spat on on stage. And Simon was like, well, I hope you're funny. And I was like, that was almost like him being like, I think, not as nice as it gets. <laughs> like, I hope you're funny. And I was like, yeah, me too, obviously. It's 5,000 people in this arena. It's good. So it was a big vet or theater, whatever it was. And, uh, and that said, I, I crushed the first set. I got a standing O in the first set. And then the second set, I did well, but it was like... 
I went on at midnight after some Destiny's Child ripoff, and Simon just destroyed them too. And he was in a. They kept saying Simon's in a bad mood. I'm like, well, so are we, but we seem right. to be plugging along, you know. Well, I mean, if you're performing at midnight and, been there, <laughs> and you've all been there all day. Another one they kept saying was was Simon's hungry. They're like he's hungry, and I'm like, well, I'm sure someone can bring him a sandwich. I'm sure I'm sure we could figure this out. Well, you know, they can't eat on camera. Or... <laughs> no. Or off, off camera if you're Heidi. Right. <laughs> now, you had a much different experience on uh, Last Comic Standing than your, uh, your good buddy Joe Mackey. Joe did great. Joe did so well on Last Comic. I did not. Explain to me the f- frenemy friendship with Joe Mackey? that you and Joe have had over the years. This played out on national television. Well, Joe is my Most the first guy on roast battle. We did, we did roast battle. I couldn't believe he agreed to it. Everyone was shocked at Comedy Central. I think they were like, "Joe will do it." It was it was shocking. So, uh, but you've did it for years, like on Fox News appearances. And, we do Red Eye, and yeah. uh, it, it was just an excuse. We're like, "Where on TV can we just like?" They were expecting us to do some politically, you know, some some political slant. All we did was trash each other right. on TV. How did, um, how did that start, and how did it? How did it? Well, Red Eye a thing that people were letting letting you just do that. Well, Red Eye started was it was kind of a good experience for us because they would just let us do whatever we wanted. You know, it would uh, it would be it'd be good experience on camera because we could just go on TV and tell jokes, and there weren't many shows that. We, we at that point in our careers where we could just sit at a table for an hour and riff and be funny, and so it definitely, it definitely helped us with our comfort level on camera. I think, and then Joe did it, I did it, and they kind of saw we had a chemistry, and they were like, "Why don't you guys do something together?" And we don't really. Joe will go on Gutfeld sometimes now. I don't. I I might try to for the special, but I. Uh, I do a podcast with Joe now called Keeping Joe, and it's just us abusing each other. Phil Hanley's on it too, and Liz, who manages the seller, yeah. And we have music, and every song is either trashing Phil or Mackie, <laughs> and they're good. It's good music. It's pretty crazy. And how does the audience take to that podcast? I think people like it. People, I think the people that like it are just really hardcore, and then other people are like, "What the hell is this?" It's it's weird. It's a weird podcast. But how much know. crossover is that audience versus the audience you had for people talking sports? <sighs> Very little. I think the people. I don't know the people that I, that watch people talking sports. I don't think are aware of social media. You know, the people that stop me are always, like, security guards or, like, night people, bartenders. Uh, the, the people, the only people that recognize me from that are, like, I'm walking into a bar and some guy cards me at the door and, and he's like, oh, you're that guy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So that's the only time. Right, because I guess a lot of bars have sports on, so they would have MSG on. They just run the hell out of it. And I think also you just, it's a show you watch when you get home or something. It's a show where you're like, ah, oh, this is, I don't have to pay total attention. They're being silly, talking sports. Was hosting a talk show something you would... Entertained yeah. or dreamed about when you were young? Absolutely, yeah. I, I love hosting shows. I liked interviewing that, uh, the guests that I got. I got to talk to really interesting people. I mean, I was t- talking to Daryl Strawberry. I was talking to Vander Holyfield. I was like, this is insane. What <laughs> and what right do I have to be talking to these people? Yeah, what would your what would your like ten year old the ten year old self think about? About well, Sam as an adult talking to your sports idols and learning well, things you might not have wanted to learn about them. Well, yeah, I was not aware of the crack addiction when I was 10. But, uh, you know, I wore my John Starks jersey to interview John Starks because I was like, that was part of the fun for me is that they knew I was a fan. And I think they appreciated it, that they knew 
that I loved them. And, and those guys played for us in a way that I don't feel that a lot of current athletes play for their city. Like, there was a real pride. That team with Charles Oakley and Patrick Ewing and Starks and Mason, they really played like they wanted to represent us and, and make us proud. And Oakley was, I used to think of Oakley and Charlie Ward diving into the stands. Like, where do you see that anymore? Everyone's playing for their contract now. There's no taking like a charge. It's a different game. It's, it's not a defensive-minded game, which, of course, I miss, but I love the NBA the way it is right now, too. So you just have, you can reminisce, but look, it's, growth is good, and the game's evolving. Is, it's good Did for the sport, too. Did you be an athlete as a kid? Or? I mean, yeah, but you figure out, at a certain point, you're like, ah, this lanky Jewish frame's not going to lend itself well to the NBA, probably. So What age was that? You <laughs> pretty young. Yeah. It was pretty young. What, I, age, what age did you figure out you were funny? pretty young also it's i think once i think sometimes it's a defense mechanism like you you're like well the thing i wanted to do isn't panning out this will be my other thing i'll develop a sense of humor i'll, I'll hone that mm-hmm. so my mom would just always laugh at what i would say so but that's my mom you know but then in school that kind of became my thing because like, you have kind of like a, a rich radio voice thank you which you don't kind of associate with typical stand-ups yeah, I guess there's a lot of comics who have great voices, though, to me. I think Joe List is a great voice. I think John Mulaney is a great voice, you know. They're kind of more old-timey radio. Right, you're right. Yeah, I just, I like, I like this writing a lot, though. dedication goes on. <laughs> well, I like writing, so I really like writing jokes. So I, I do like the idea of having good, like, albums mean something to me. So it's interesting you say, like, you like the sound of my voice or, or whatever, but... I love albums, so I guess I was conscious of how I sounded, and I, I used to have a horrible lisp, and it comes out occasionally, mm-hmm. but I kind of outgrew it, I guess, for the most part. When, when did you realize that, that you could make a living at comedy? Um, probably when I won Laughing Skull. That was it, I okay. think. Because the prize, which I always say this, more festivals, the prize should not just be like a one-time payment or or whatever they do. It should be steady work right because what did you because you had also done a, co- a competition at comics i did comics course. i did caroline's i did all of them and i won comics i came in second at caroline's and what were the prizes for those i don't even remember i don't even, <laughs> I don't even know i think we got like one weekend at comics and uh caroline's i don't i think caroline's the prize was that they worked me very regularly mm. at that time so that was really cool caroline's was really good to me coming up they gave me Every good weekend, like every good comic that would come to town, they'd be like, you want on? I'd be like, so grateful. Would those be guest spots or like featured? No, hosts and featuring. Okay. And uh, they'd give me Jezelnik, Jim Jeffries, Norton, like okay. all these comics that I thought they paired me with pretty well. Like, oh, maybe this guy will, his fans may like you. So they were thoughtful with it and cool. And uh, comics, I think, you know, they folded not soon after I won. I, they still owe me money. Mike Racine and I did a, a, sh- they, a show that together. They were their own business plan yeah. or lack thereof. Yeah. Maybe don't pay Brad Garrett $100,000 or whatever you paid him for a weekend. <laughs> uh, no disrespect to Brad Garrett. Well, but, they had a lot of other issues, though. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it was a mess, but... But but Laughing Skull paid like they Steve Hofstadter made sure I had work coming in every month after that. It was kind of insane. I mean, some were feature dates, which didn't pay well. But then a lot of those clubs I featured at then brought me back as a headliner, which you don't hear about it often anymore. I think it's super hard to make the jump from feature to headliner now because once they see you as a feature, you're just a feature. But then, um, 
So, like, where where were you getting booked? The first that? club that ever headlined me was a club called Laughs in Kirkland, and I got okay. that off. Uh, Outside of Seattle. Yeah, I played there a bunch since. Uh, I remember the first, it was terrifying the first night because I was like, I don't know if I have a good 45 minutes. Of course, like most comics started out, they're like, I got an hour. I wasn't one of those guys because my jokes were short, so I was like, fuck, I got to nail this, you know? You I used have like a 20 minute story <laughs> at the time. We're talking about Gary Vito. I remember I used to ask Gary, I've known him since he started too, and we'd ask Gary, how much time do you have? He'd be like, 19 minutes. <laughs> he knew to a T because <laughs> his jokes are so short. So I remember I, the first night I did maybe 48 minutes whatever it was and I got off stage and he was like what the fuck was that and I was like oh, I thought I did pretty well like what he goes we're a family club and I didn't know what he was referring to I, I was like what joke and he just he just looked at me and goes we're a family club and walked away and I'm like what can I sub out what joke can I take out I feel like I was talking slowly as it is and then the next night I did the exact same sex I didn't know what else to do and I got off stage he goes you know I had my doubts about you but you really pulled it together and I was like what are you talking about <laughs> it was the same it was the exact same show <laughs> maybe it's a different audience I don't know man did you get to bring your own opener for that? or No, no. I mean, because I wasn't getting paid well as a headliner. Okay. I mean, that, bringing someone costs them more money. Most clubs, I mean, somehow they pay feature acts worse than they paid me now. I don't know how they do it. But, I mean, it costs them money to pay for a hotel and to pay them. So they don't want to... They don't want anyone coming from out of town, most clubs, Now, you, you mentioned open. a couple of guys with great... other guys with great voices like List or Mulaney. And I know both of them coming up had specific guys who like to take them on the road with them. Did you have somebody like that? Uh, the people that probably helped me the most in that regard are, I mean, uh, Dave Attell, Gary Goldman, and, um, and you know, then more recently, Amy Schumer. So, uh, I, I, learned, I, the mo I went most out with Attell, and he, I learned a ton from watching that guy just like how he handles everything you're like oh this is comedy it's so cool just watching him like with a with a local town paper just scrolling through a large iced coffee and uh and i'm like i wonder what he's gonna say from this paper and then he always has something hilarious to say about the town he has weird references about the town ready it's you learn a lot when you work with someone who's that great have you have you started to do that yourself yeah you for sure i remember i was in uh I'm not bragging, but I was in Tampa last year, and or maybe it was two years ago. I, I go there it's no once Saint a year. <laughs> Florida's—I'd say Tampa's. I have the most fun of anyone in Florida and Tampa. I've had good times there, but I, I was going through a breakup, and uh, it was a weird weekend. I was working with this comic, Raul Sanchez, who's funny as hell, like really funny guy, kind of a dark dude, you know, served in Iraq, oh. illegal immigrant, he's got PTSD, so he drinks. <laughs> so we're drinking together, we're having fun. <laughs> he drinks and you're going through it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got darker stuff he's going through, but I'm trying to catch up. And uh, so we're, we're having fun, we're kind of laughing it off. We end up just one night in a strip club, and I'm not a strip club guy, and I know every guy says that, but I'm really not, but we just end up at one. And... I think I just told the Uber driver, I'm like, just take us to a strip club, man. And he was like, I got you. And he must have thought we were tougher than we are because we go in and we're like, well, this does not look like our type of environment. It's like a really shady part of town. Uh, all I remember is it was on Nebraska Avenue, and that became like the punchline for the rest of the weekend. I just had to, all I had to say was, 
Well, I was in one of your finer parts earlier this weekend, uh, Nebraska Avenue, and that would like kill every night because they just knew that was the shittiest part of town. Apparently, this Uber driver played a joke on us. He's like, I'm going to take him to the shittiest part. And uh, it was the scary end of the night. <laughs> but you survived it. We survived it, yeah. And then, you know, obviously being on the road with, with Amy, that's got to be something like being with someone who's, who's rocketed to a such a high level of fame it's surreal man it's like you know we're playing arenas when yeah. i was out with her like i'm like oh this is where kyle lowry and demar Derozan change we're in like the raptors arena you know so they have pictures like just of the i mean this is people come to watch the greatest athletes in the world play here she did this with comedy and you just have to remember that i'm like oh jokes got you in an arena it's insane what did you what did you learn about like how she deals with fame and, 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 the, and the fans and the backlash and all, all the things that come with being achieving the, the great heights. There's a that, lot that, that comes with it, good and bad. Yeah. I mean, she's pretty well adjusted, I'd say, for it. I mean, it's it can't be easy. I mean, it's it, I mean, the perks are great, but then you know, I see people people don't treat you when you get to that level of fame. There's a certain degree of like just not treating any comic like they have feelings or a person, but when you add that to celebrity that she has, because people will just come up to you and just say shit that can be kind of hurtful sometimes, right. but they don't think that. You know what I mean? Like, I can't hear how often... I can compare to Zach Galifianakis a lot, but not, <laughs> but not for his comedy. Yeah? Oh, really? Well, no, but pe- you just know, people will just... The beard. People will just say that, though. You know, they'll just say, like, oh, you were our favorite on the show, and then they'll point to me or something, they'll be like, you were our second favorite. And you're like, well, that didn't make me feel good. You could have just said you liked both of us. Stuff like that. So you combine that with Amy's celebrity, and mm-hmm. it's like the message boards and the comments, and it's it can be... I'm sure overwhelming. Well, so, then she's also a woman, and she's an outspoken woman. She's yeah. not just a woman; she speaks out. So you know, there there's a lot that comes with that. I mean, the people that love her, I'm sure, are grateful for someone like that. She's, I think, really breaking barriers by just being as outspoken as she is. But when you're politically outspoken and a woman, you're going to get even extra venom. I mean, that's how it goes. I'm sure she's seen that, and she's so tough. I mean, she's gonna. I think she'll be fine, you know, but... How, how, is, how has watching her changed how you approach your own career and, and even your... Well, Sean, you when I get on my private jet, I... Uh, no, I... Um, but in terms of what you want out of your career, what you want to do with, with your I don't time think on I get, or off stage... I don't think I'd want to be that famous, and I don't think I have to worry about that, but I, I, don't, I don't think no, I'd... You wa- have the subway ads. <laughs> I don't think I would want that. I like riding the subway. I like... Mm-hmm. I like I like the way it is now, where occasionally someone will be like, I like your show, or occasionally someone will say they like my comedy, but it's rare and I can just live life. I like that. I like that I can take walks. For me, it's a big part of writing jokes is being able to take a walk in New York or being able to go to the coffee shop, and she doesn't have that. Granted, she has a much bigger house, so she can just go to another room and treat that like a coffee shop. But has that changed from when you first started out in comedy in terms of what your goals and your dreams were? I think my no. I think I, I always wanted to be a, a really a, a working comic who just kept getting better and whose audience slowly kept getting bigger. Okay. I, I like the idea of each year being better than the last, career-wise, and and each year my acts better than the last. And I feel that that's the way I'm going right now. I think each each year my comedy gets better, and uh, and I'm able the level I'm at. I'm able to focus primarily on stand-up. 
So when the last time we talked into the microphones was at Clusterfest right. in San Francisco this summer. And one of the things that we we were on a panel with Rachel and um, Nikki and Jim Jeffries. And one of the things we were talking about at the time was the backlash that you get from the Internet. Right. About being a comic and having free speech. What has surprised... It's been five years since the Internet tried to rake you over the coals. <laughs> what has surprised you more in the last five years? How your career has gone or how the conversations about comedy on the Internet have gone? Comedy on the Internet. I wasn't scared. I, I, I was, it was unpleasant, but I wasn't like... I didn't think this would ruin You didn't me. think it would, it would stop you from progressing? No, because I think... No, I, I think the right people realize that my intent was not malicious and that I'm not a bad person that, and that we can disagree on what's funny and what's not funny. But to try to ruin someone's career over that is just silly, and I, I knew I'd be all right. At the time, of course, it was scary because I had never... It was. I remember my manager at the time was like, Kumal Bell's show wants to have you on. Oh. And and she said, I don't want you to do it because I don't want your first TV credit <laughs> to be defending a joke. And defending, I was like, Yeah, defending rape jokes. Yeah, I was like, I don't. I thought Jim Norton handled it beautifully. Right, because uh, he ended up doing that for the same show, doing a debate about. Yeah, it was originally supposed to actually be me and Amy, and then Amy backed out, and it was Jim. Okay. So I wasn't as close with Amy then, but uh, yeah, I guess I just th- thought that. It was a hit piece and that, uh, I don't know, I, I the mob on Twitter and whatever it is. Yeah, what, do you th- what do you think about it now in 2018, five years later? I'm bored by it a lot. I'm also just exhausted by it. Like in a way where so many people are saying the exact same thing the exact same way. And I guess the lack of, orig- of originality and just the echo chamber has become kind of bores me. It's, it's not a... Like, I like Twitter as a creative space where I can try a joke out and see if it gets, you know. And so many people were like, what this person did was bad. And it's like almost as if they're just patting themselves on the back as they write it. So much of it is... I believe the kids call that virtue signaling. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It's virtue signaling. And it's people trying to elevate themselves. It's so self-righteous and so lame. And there's... We all have done things that we're not proud of, and none of us are immune to this. And it's getting to a place where people are digging stuff up, I feel like. They're just digging stuff up. Like, you see it every time someone gets in trouble for, like, or they get hired to SNL, or or even, you know, when Trevor Noah got The Daily Show, and they dig up a tweet that they think is anti-Semitic. It's not anti-Semitic. You know, I'm a Jew. It's not... I'm, I'm just like curious. What's the what's the end game here? What are we doing? There's a great book on this called uh, "So You've Been Publicly Shamed." Oh yeah, that John Ronson wrote, and it just details how people just it overwhelms any reason. It's reckless, and I think it's it's dangerous. These public lynchings. It, it's I don't know. I, 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 Do you see a way out of it? No, because because uh, everyone's voice. You know, hate is stronger than love on social media. Yes. It just is. I mean, Venom is going to get more retweets, and people are addicted to the likes, and they're addicted to the faves. And saying, I thought this person had a great special is not going to get as many retweets as, what's problematic? They love that word, problematic. What's problematic with this new special? So, no, I don't see any end in sight. I think, it's gonna, I think that's the way we're going. And... Uh, you know, I started to think that maybe if 
if these platforms like Twitter or Facebook, when they first started, if they didn't have likes or or, ret- or tweets, or, or if they didn't even have the numbers, yeah, they didn't show how many people liked something or how many people retweeted something, that that would change everything because then you wouldn't know what's popular. Yeah, you but then have the hard data. Go, right, oh, but then this how has you, a million retweets. But it for, must be good. for comedy, I liked it because I could throw a joke out there and be like, "Oh, a lot of people like this premise. I'll go deeper on this premise on right. stage now." So, I guess that wouldn't help in that way. But yeah, it, it's I don't know. It's just such a weird. You're right. Maybe the the likes are the problems. Maybe it's like you get that little rush, man, and then when you don't get it, you feel that little moment of sadness. You know, it's it's so weird where where we are. Did people even see my joke? It was good. <laughs> it was good. It was better than it got. I feel like I get a lot of those. I'll be like, hey, "Where's someone?" Mm-hmm. But a lot of it, I like realize your TV work. <laughs> it's better than it got. It deserved more. <laughs> but uh, you know, I just think that sometimes with my jokes, especially, I you need to see my face. You, you need to hear my tone to get that it's silly. Because right. sometimes. If you don't get that, there's a rhythm you speak in on stage that's, that you work to hone, and, and there's a rhythm to it, and there's pauses, and there's beats, and those are my favorite comics, where it feels like a conversation, and I don't think that style translates through text, and that's what Twitter is. It's like, it's like a text. I, I was talking to someone about this. People, if there's a joke that is divisive or political or whatever in any way, people on the other side are going to assume the worst about you, and it's almost like a text where... You know, there's someone that you're on the fence about as a person. You're like, what does this mean? Yeah. What do they mean by this? And I feel like people do that with tweets. Like, they, they assume the absolute worst. It always reminds me of an old joke by Arge Barker, who was telling this joke before, I think, even Twitter and Facebook. Where he was just talking about texting, that there should be a font called Sarcastica. That's a great, that's a great joke. I remember that joke. I remember it specifically because it just seems more and more apt. We need it, man. It's it's the the Twitter mob and everything. I think you have to remember. I think is once you apologize, you're in trouble. I think they act like they're okay with an apology, but here's the thing. And this is about jokes. I don't think it does anything. If you're not sorry, why do you have to apologize? I guess if you're on a TV show or something like Tracy Morgan, the situation he was in, right, where the network is saying. If you want to stay on the show, you need to make you need to save face. You lose a lot of credibility as a as a comedian when. And here's the thing: like I'll tweet stuff that I don't always stand behind later. You know what I mean? Like I'll look back. I'm like, I don't feel that way anymore. But just the idea that they do they really feel better after the it doesn't make sense to me. Like I, the forced apologies are the ones I don't get. Like if you really are sorry, then all right. And they're like, oh, I see what I did wrong. But if, if you're forced into it and it's not even sincere, why does that make you feel better? It's all for the, like, kangaroo court, I guess. I guess so. So your Comedy Central hour. Yeah. <laughs> are you just going to stay away from the internet? or No, nah, why not? I mean, Lean into it and... I think the feedback's going to be pretty good. I think I think it'll be mostly good. I think there will be some people that don't like it, but I think I think it's a really good special. I'm proud of it. So I don't. I'm not that. It's one of the things when you put something out that you like, and people some people don't like it. I'm like, well, that's your opinion. I ran it a lot. It killed in a lot of different markets. I, I you know I, I workshopped it all over blue state, red state, every type of club, every type of audience seemed to be consistently working throughout. So. Uh, I'm proud of it. I stand behind it. So to the people that don't like it, it doesn't really affect me. And then is it just on to the next hour? 
I feel like I'm almost there, man, because I shot in December. Oh, wow. So I, I think I'm going to more exciting places. And it's not a good way to promote this upcoming does special. does that feel weird to, to know that you tape something in December and it's just coming out in September? It's so weird. I nearly forgot about it a couple months ago. <laughs> it's like it's like a nice little surprise. You're like, it's oh, a, right. It, it's a good thing they have those subway ads. It's. I was They're like, oh, yeah, you. that's oh, me. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing something. I definitely feel like... Uh, it does feel weird. It, I, I was not thrilled when I found out how long it was going to take to come out, mm-hmm. but now it's nice because I feel like it's just I'm in a I'm in a place where I don't really need to do those jokes anymore. For I'll do some on the road. Wait, so to then survive. you don't get that same thing that you got with America's Got Talent, where they're like, "You told those jokes." I know, and I also have that thing where I'm like, "If you heard it, I this is now my second hour out. I have a lot of content online. Just look up those jokes if you want to see more. And if you don't, if you don't like them, then don't come back." <laughs> It's also funny that they watch another set of me and they're like, we don't like this guy. I'm like, all right, well, you came back. <laughs> There's other stuff. You can find other stuff. I'm sorry that I did it on an awful talent show. Like, I followed a guy juggling. Like, what do you want? You thought I was going to just do new stuff? You thought I was going to workshop a new set? So after? you're saying there's no juggling in your <laughs> Central Hour? There should have been. Oh. Well, next hour. Next hour we'll have a ju- The opening's fun, too, I think. Check out the opening for the special. It's very... Uh, it, it was actually completely Amy's ideas. I think it's really funny, the opening. Well, good. It's, it's an offbeat. Uh, you didn't see it yet? No, I They should have sent you a link. I'll watch it right now. All right. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me, dude. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.